Father, we want to come before you. Uh, We want to surrender our lives in a brand new way because uh, you are Lord and your kingdom is the only thing that matters in this world. In America, we are so distracted by um, our materialism, by our wealth, by so many things. And Jesus, we don't want to just be like that. We want to be transformed. And if that means... um, that we have to turn our back on things that we find comfortable or pleasing. God, we want to be your children and your ambassadors and your army first before we want to be comfortable Americans. Father, we want to to know you uh, as our brothers out there taught us joy in the midst of circumstances that are difficult. We want to know you in that way. So Lord, thank you for teaching us, for teaching me through Uh, the children that you have placed in Haiti and the men who are pastors and serving over there. And we thank you for using us in whatever way you did to bless and encourage them. Jesus, we are wrong in many of the things we do and many of the ways that we think. And we're asking you to transform our hearts and give us new hearts and new spirits. I pray for those who have been hurting and really going through some difficult trials here in America and here in this church. And we know that there's many who have been really suffering. And I pray, Jesus, that you would comfort them and and that our hearts would be fully um, abandoned to trust in you alone, that we would uh, abandon everything else to really put our hope, Jesus, in in you only. Forgive us for trusting in our jobs, in our security, in our homes, in our families. Forgive us for trusting in so many idols. Lord, we want to be your children, children of the Most High God, who, are, who know that you will be faithful and you will always come through for us. Help us to invest our time, our talents, and our money to where your kingdom is growing. We want to be taught by your word. We want to be transformed this morning by the life of Jesus Christ, our Savior and your Son. And in his name we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. We're going through the book of Mark, and we're just going to get a little part part of it today. We're just going to go through two verses. Um, So we're going to be talking about temptation today, and the title of today's sermon is Waking Up the Beast. Waking Up the Beast. All right, so we began the Gospel of Mark last week, and we learned the main focus of this book is to present Jesus as the perfect servant, okay? And that's why, uh, he, that's why our kind of picture that we have is an ox. Um, uh, the uh, logo, I don't know, that I came up with is like this really cool ox. And uh, because an ox is a servant, he, he pulls a load and uh, so that's, the, that's what the Bible describes Jesus as. In the book of Revelation, you have four angels with four faces, uh, the man, the eagle, the ox, and the lion. Those each, each represent a different part of Jesus' character. The lion, that he's the king. The man, that he was a man. The eagle, that he was God, deity. And the ox is that he was a servant. We also learn that each one of those represent one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is he is a king of Israel, the lion, Mark, he's a servant, the ox. Luke, he was the perfect man, the son of man. And John is that he was God. 
uh, he's presented as God. So that was an eagle. So we see the, the, that really cool connection there. Um, but as a servant, Jesus is perfectly willing and able to fulfill all of God's requirements for men. When God created man, he said, you're supposed to serve me. I created you to serve me. If you don't serve me, we're done here. Like, that's how what I made you. And that's why everybody in the world who's not serving God has an empty hole in their heart has an emptiness in their soul that they're trying to fill. And people have come up with wildly creative ways to fill the void in their heart, whether it's materialism or relationships or sex or money, drugs, whatever. There's so many ways that we have come up with to try to fill that void. Well, Jesus, he actually served God the way men were supposed to. Jesus does everything God asked of him. And he does everything men were supposed to do. And man could never serve God perfectly, but Jesus did he lived the perfect servant life that all men were supposed to live. In the last study, we saw that Mark wasted no time getting to the real first question we have when considering Jesus as a servant is, how can Jesus, as a man, serve God perfectly? Like, we understand he was a man, right? But he was also God. But how could he serve God perfectly? And Mark gets right into it with a very simple answer. Three verses he spends talking about it. Jesus was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was God's resource for Jesus to serve him perfectly. And our application for that is very simple and obvious. If you want to serve God, there's one way. By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. The Father gave the Spirit to a man, Jesus, as the living resource to accomplish God's will. And when did Jesus receive this Holy Spirit? When he showed up at a baptism party in the wilderness and Jesus there identified with the people who needed his help. Jesus was showing them that in order to help them and to save them, he has to become one of them. Did Jesus have any sin he needed to repent of? But he was still baptized. And that's weird. Even John the Baptist was like, this is weird. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You're perfect. You're God. You don't need to repent. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I got to do this to fulfill all righteousness, which means if I'm going to make you righteous, I have to become what you are. I have to identify with you because God loves his people, no matter how unlovable they are. So anyone who wants to serve God is in the same business of God, which is loving people. We have to identify with the people God wants to save. We are not other than the, than the sinners in this city. We're not separated in that way. We, we want to go out and become with them and connect with them to be able to show them the love that God has by the spirit God's going to give us. And today, so that's, that's what we learned. Jesus filled with the spirit because he loves people. He wants to serve them, become their sacrifice, and uh, do what they need to get saved, right? So today, we're going to see that that same spirit that, uh, that, that filled Jesus now drives him into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And this will complete the full identification with sinners. Okay? So Jesus, at first he was baptized saying, I, I am going to be like you. And now he's going to go through the same temptations that we go through, and that will complete the identification. He wants to, be, he wants to fully know what you are going through. And this is what makes Jesus so much different than every other religion in the world and every other deity. 
is that he actually knows what you're going through. He's gone through it before further than you ever have. So let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, and it, it helps us understand. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A high priest, what was a high priest? A high priest was the servant of God and the servant of man. He, he went in between both of them. He was serving God by giving God's messages to the people and then he was serving the people by giving their requests to God. He was always serving and Jesus is the perfect high priest. And a good, he says a good high priest would be able to understand man's weaknesses, not just demand perfection when we can't give it. So a bad high priest would be like, here's God's messages for you. Go do it. And people are like, but we can't. Screw you. I'm going to bed. That'd be a bad high priest. A good high priest takes their weakness into account and, and provides strength and help for them when they are weak. The best high priest would actually give grace to forgive their failure and then equip them and empower them to do God's will. Jesus was God, but he became a man. So he's God and man. So he could represent God to man and he could represent man to God. He is the perfect servant. That's what we see here. But the spirit has to, must prove to everyone that Jesus is the perfect servant, so he sends Jesus into the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And we're going to learn that the solution to our temptations today is not a system and it's not a strategy, but it's a person. The solution to every temptation you ever are going to go through is a person. And this person sits on a throne of grace waiting to supply everything that we need. And that's what we're going to learn today. So our text is Mark 1, 12 and 13. It says, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. So we'll, let's just break that down and see what each part means. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The word drove is very interesting in the Bible because it's the same word used for casting out demons. The Spirit cast him into the desert. Um, I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again because I like it. When I was young, my uh, dad wanted to go buy a Hummer. Well, he didn't really want to buy a Hummer. He liked Hummers, and he wanted to see if they were really uh, a good fit. So we went to Medved Hummer out there on I-70 in Wadsworth, right? And uh, they had a Hummer test track set up out there. So we went out there, and we got in the Hummer, and the guy was like, we're going to go out here, and we're going to drive over all these obstacles, and you're going to pee your pants, and then you're going to buy the Hummer. And we were like, wow, that's really confident of you. This guy was very, very confident. So he took us on the obstacle, and it was crazy. We're going through water, and we're going over hills and down canyons, and it was, it was wild, and it did live up to be. It was really uh, an amazing vehicle that, and uh, just wasn't nice inside, so we ended up getting, what was it, Range Rover at that time? Anyway, weird end of the story. The point is that he was not afraid to take his vehicle out and put it to the test. 
because he was confident. Okay? God is doing the same thing with Jesus here, with Satan in the desert. God is showing us that he has, his son is going to obey him, is going to honor him, no matter what anyone throws at him. He is going to succeed. He is going to be the perfect servant. So he has the spirit drive him ha, out into the desert. Right? That worked per- That was so many levels. It just worked right there. <laughs> God wants to show off his servant. He's not, when, when God is testing someone through temptations, it's not always to say, look how terrible you are. You failed this test. A lot of times it's to show, look at the good I've already done in you. You, you beat that one. You won this one. You would have failed all of them if I wasn't with you. So anyway. He goes out into the wilderness. The spear drives him into the wilderness. And every time we see that word, we need to remember that the children of Israel would have heard that word and been like, ooh, the wilderness, right? Because they were in the wilderness for 40 years, lost and confused. And, uh, and so for them, it, it, it symbolizes for them the life of, of, of testing, trial, and, and honestly, a lot of failure. And it says he was there in the wilderness for 40 days. So Jesus identifies with his people, the people of Israel, who went into the, is- the wilderness themselves. And he says, I'll go into the wilderness. And what did they do in the wilderness? Complain, fail, not trusting God. Fail, 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 right? What does Jesus do in the wilderness? He doesn't fail. He has to show Satan and show the world that he will not fail. He will not succumb to temptation. So he's in there for 40 days. And 40 in the Bible is the number of testing and proving. We have, you know, Noah's flood. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. We have Israel was in the wilderness 40 years. Moses kept sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. And the time of Jesus tempting is 40 uh, days. So now we see that he was tempted by Satan. Mark here doesn't get into the specific temptations. We know that there was three temptations and and the other uh, writers go into that in depth. So why doesn't Mark? He, he only says that Satan was the source of these temptations. Mark is looking at it, at it from a different perspective. And this gives us the impression that Jesus was going to continue to be tempted his whole life. That this was just the first in a series of, of being tempted by Satan. And it would go all the way to the cross, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Satan would still be saying, don't do this. Don't serve God. Don't go to the cross. Satan is set up here as a, a, an enemy of God and an enemy of, of uh, serving God. Because, again, Mark is presenting Jesus as the, the servant, so Satan is being set up as the enemy of any servant. He is, Satan is the continual motivation to not serve God. So anytime we feel in our hearts that we don't want to serve God, where is that coming from? Right. Not ourselves, not God. Satan's continual motivation is to not serve God, not serve others, but to serve ourselves. How, many, how much time do we spend serving ourselves in a day? We, we spend a lot of time. We've got to think about this. We've got to repent. And say, God, if Jesus was your servant and he was all about you and others, that's what I want to be. 
change me. Open my eyes to where I'm spending time on myself this time, this time, this time, this time. And it adds up quick. And before we know it, a whole week has gone by and we've literally not prayed for anybody. We've not done anything to love people or serve them. We are so concerned with my dreams, my plans, my world, my comfort, my feelings, me, me, me. And if I can figure out a way to fit someone else into my life, maybe I'll serve them. Because I'm a nice guy. Aren't I awesome? Maybe if I can just get over myself a little bit, then I'll get married. Then I'll serve a wife. Maybe if I have time, I'll think about what I could do to make my community better. You know? We, this is what I'm seeing in our country, in our city. Everyone is very self-centered, right? And the root of that is a satanic influence. Don't serve God. Rebel against his rule. He can't tell you what to do. You're not the boss of me. Serve yourself. Because when we decide to do that, when we give in to that temptation, what's going on is that we're actually serving Satan. Because Satan is the first one to rebel against God, so we are jumping in his camp. We're jumping into his line. We're, we're assigning ourselves to his team, saying, yeah, I don't have to serve anybody, and I certainly don't have to serve God This is all about me, my world, my apartment, my car, my job, my, me, me, me. So we actually join his kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, when we choose to rebel against serving God in this way. If you're a Christian, your life is only serving God. Or you're not. There is no halfway There's no, well, I serve God in this part of my life. I serve me in this part of my life. My God time, my me time. God does not accept that. We can't do that. Then it says, And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. This is an interesting text. Um, This shows that the servant of God had everything in order. What I mean is that is that wild animals, when the wild animals saw Jesus, they didn't rebel in violence against him because they saw in him the image of their perfect creator, which is what they were supposed to see in us. And that's why when God created the animals, it was peaceful. Man was their master. God made man the master of the animals, but they rebel against something that is an, a marred image of their of their creator. So they saw Jesus as the perfect image of God, so they surrendered to him as their Lord. He was with them. It meant he was in close company with these wild beasts. I just picture, you know, a porcupine laying down his quills and, and Jesus using him as a pillow. And then it says angels served him and show that And what that means is that it shows that heaven is all on the same page, that Jesus is God, that he is worthy to be served, that he is Lord. Heaven is on that, is, is, sees that and agrees. 
yet he has come to serve. And so the angels come and heaven supplies him with the help that he needs to be the true servant of God that he is. So we see heaven's approval of him and we see heaven supplying his needs. And isn't that what we call grace? That heaven supplies our needs when we're weak and when we're tired, which we know from the other gospels, Jesus was weak and tired and he was at the end of strength. He was about to die and angels came and supplied him with what he needed. So, how do we apply the temptation Jesus went through into our lives? Temptation is not a bad thing. It's not punishment. Um, and it's no sin to be tempted. If it was a sin to be tempted, then Jesus would have been the greatest sinner in the world because he was tempted more than all of us. But it is not a sin to be tempted. And that's really important. And we don't really believe that because when was the last time you were tempted to have an affair and you went and announced it to everybody? I've been tempted. I'm tempted to have an affair today. I'm tempted to murder somebody. Well, we sometimes do say that one when we're driving on the road. I'm being tempted to murder you right now. But we, we show that we don't really believe temptation is not a sin when we, when we hide the fact that we're, temp- we're tempted. We're being tempted to lie or to steal or to be angry, and we just cover it up. We're just like, I'm just not going to talk about that. I'm just going to... It's not a sin to be tempted, but we feel shame about it. And that is a trick of the enemy. Satan wants you to to feel shame and to run away from God and away from other people who could support you and help you and pray for you and strengthen you. He wants you to run away from all that. So he's convinced us that temptation is wrong, that temptation is the same as sin, which it is not. Temptation this is important, reveals the person we really are in the depth of our heart. Temptation didn't make you that way. Temptation reveals who you are, especially when we give in to it. Temptation never makes a person fall. It reveals the fallen nature inside of them. Temptation uh, doesn't cause our sin, but it shows that we are sinners. Temptation takes what is inside and like, a, like a, a spoon, it draws it out and shows it to us and to the world. An angry person sometimes says, don't wake up the beast. Like, it's our fault for making, like, don't poke the bear. If you mess with me, you're going to be in trouble. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. It's your fault if you make me angry. Look what you did to me. When the truth is that that beast was alive and well inside their hearts, just looking and waiting for an opportunity to get out. That's the truth. Temptation is that opportunity. It shows the beast that lives within us. So we have a couple responses that we can see um, when, we, when we sin through temptation, we can, uh, or when temptation comes into our lives, these are a couple of responses. One, the first response we have usually to temptation is denial. And that's when we say, I would never do that. You remember Saul in the Old Testament, right? He started off really well, very humble. 
And, and he made promises to God. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to be the king of Israel that always does what's right. And I'm going to serve you. And he starts going. But in his pride, he, he neglected that he still needed God and, and needed to stay humble. He got prideful. And in that pride, he fell to basically every temptation that crossed his path. He, he t- spoke to demons. He, he committed basically every sin you can imagine. He fell in temptation. And it was because he did not have the humility to say, I would never do that. I would never do A. I would never do B. If there's something that you say in your life, I would never do that, get ready. Because that's the thing that Satan is going to tempt you in. And you, you might be shocked when, when you're actually tempted to do that thing. And, and, and if you're shocked and you're surprised by this temptation, you're probably not going to handle it well. But it will reveal, God will reveal that, yes, you can. You are, you are quite capable of murder. You are capable of adultery, and you are capable of lying, stealing, and breaking every commandment. You are capable. No, not me. I know two of your hearts said it. I heard it. No, not me. Yes, you. We absolutely are capable. So that, when we choose um, denial, uh, we are setting ourselves up to fall in temptation. We're setting ourselves up. All right, the second response that we can have to temptation is despair. When we see our own responses to temptation and we see that we fail or we see that inside, man, I do want to hurt people. I do want to hate people. I do want to be angry. I want them to get what they deserve. I want, I, I see it in me. Either denial or despair. Despair is when we say, man, this is never going to change. I will never change. It's always going to be like this. It's kind of a pity party. It's kind of, I, this is just who I am and nothing will transform me. And what this is, is no faith. The first one was no humility. I'm not, that wouldn't happen to me. I'm not that kind of person. Second one is no faith. God could never transform me. And again, as we've learned so many times, humility and faith are the building blocks to a real relationship with God, what he asks for in the Bible. So our third response and final response is grace. We can, we can respond to temptations through grace. In other words, we can think that God will use this temptation to help me realize who I am on the inside and how much I need him. And Jesus will be the answer to all my temptations. This is the combination of humility and faith, or what we call surrender. When we surrender to God and say, um, I need you and I trust you. That is the definition of surrender in my book. So temptation forces us to ask these questions when, we're, when we have a right attitude about it. We have to ask these questions. Why am I being tempted? Why, be, why am I being tempted to be angry or cheat or sin or steal? Like, why? What is, what is going on inside me? Am I getting angry because I like to be in control? And when I'm not in control, I have a very predictable response, which is yelling and screaming, anger. When my, so my heart gets angry when something outside my control happens. Is that what's going on? That happens in a lot of people. Sometimes 
people are embarrassed. And they have a, 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 a typical response that comes out with embarrassment. And what we're learning here is that the response that we have to temptation is either going to be the flesh or the spirit. And a lot of times when we're responding in the flesh, we need to first back up and say, what made me feel this way? Not, why did I get angry? Like, yes, I understand why I got angry. But what was going on in my heart? Why did I get angry? Why did I feel it? Is it because I like control? Is it because I don't like when people are disappointed in me? So in that first one, if I don't like not being in control and it, it causes me to respond in the flesh and uh, it's, it's this temptation, then here's the gospel response. Okay? The flesh response is get angry and get control back. You, you, it's up to you to get control of the situation. Work harder, do more, prepare better, be better. That's flesh. And it comes across angry, mean, bitter, all the fruits of flesh, the works of the flesh, right? The gospel response would be this. Okay, I've recognized I don't like to be in, not in control. It's hard for me. So, the gospel says Jesus is in control. And he asks that I trust him personally. And faith is how then we walk in the gospel of grace. It says the just shall live by faith. So the answer, the way to turn to Christ instead of turning to our flesh is to determine what does Jesus give me that fixes this problem that I'm actually angry about. And to do that, you have to find out, why am I actually angry? Okay, I like to be in control, and it gets me scared and worried when I'm not in control. So the gospel says Jesus is in control, and he says, trust me. If I let go of that, I'm letting go of my anger also. If I, let, if I say, God, you're in control, so I'm going to trust you in this, you also let go of the anger Maybe you have a flesh response like anger or worry or, or fear uh, because you don't like when people are disappointed in you or look down on you. So we respond in fleshly manipulation, pandering to get people to like me. That's really common, manipulation in our world, where, oh, you don't like me? Well, let me, manip- let me do something to make you like me. Okay, that's the flesh response. Or even anger. You don't like me? Fine. I don't like you either. You smell. The gospel response is this. Jesus, even if they don't like you, Jesus loves you. That's what the gospel says. And whenever I feel unloved or, or, or looked over or not appreciated, maybe especially in marriage with your spouse, that you can get these feelings all the time, We need to look at his love. We need to look to his love as being the only true satisfying love. Trusting in his love even when I can't feel it. I don't feel loved right now. Everyone treats me like crud. Why? What? I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get distant. I'm going to get despondent or depressed. No. Those are flesh responses. Put the gospel into this. What does the gospel say? You are loved but they don't treat me like it. And if God, no, stop it. You are loved. You want proof that God loves you? Look at the cross. You want proof that God loves you? Look at Jesus. 
Meditate on it. Spend time letting it soak in his love for you. That is the solution. He is the solution to every temptation, no matter what it is. You see, temptation shows that I already trust in my flesh. That's what it shows me. It shows that I really have a sinful flesh and I depend upon it daily. So how do I change? How do I change? The answer is that my inside heart needs to be changed for me. I need a resource to change the inside of my heart. Because I can't change my own heart. You can't go through a heart reformation class that changes your heart and what you have inside. It can only be changed by God. No amount of work or effort or religion can cut the flesh out of me from my heart. The flesh is there and it's alive and well. I need to have a circumcised heart, the Bible says. Where they, where, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says, circumcise the, the foreskin of your heart. I don't care about your body, God says. I want your heart, and, and, and we can't do that. I can't just cut off something on the outside of my body and think that by obeying some rule, it will make all the inside gunk go away. That's what legalism is. If you follow this rule, it will change your heart, and that is total crud. It, it, is, it is impossible if it was possible, Jesus' death on the cross is meaningless, pointless, and we should all go home. But no, his death is valuable because it actually does transform. Law could never do such a thing. So the gospel of grace actually does this transformation. And we read that in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out your heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh or soft heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And what temptation does is it shows us our fleshly stony heart. I'm tempted to lie because I have a flesh that knows how to lie and trusts in lying. Well, if I just lie about it, I won't get in trouble. And I really believe that. My flesh does. I really know that I can trust in lying. I'm tempted to anger because I, I have a violent, sinful flesh. I'm tempted to cheat because I have a pleasure-seeking, impatient, unloving flesh. These live in me. The temptation didn't make me do those things. It didn't make me have those things. It did the one thing that I hate. It revealed who my flesh really is. That's what temptation does. It reveals who our flesh really is. I really have these desires to sin in my flesh. My flesh is very strong and it has many sinful desires, but I also, this is the weird part about Christians, we also have this competing desire to not sin for holiness and righteousness. So we have this desire and this desire and they're at war with each other. This is the flesh, this is the spirit that's been given to us. And the solution to us choosing spirit instead of flesh is the gospel. He changes who we really are. He's given us a new identity that we can walk in. Colossians 3 says, If you were raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So here it is, guys. Here's how to deal with temptation. Don't focus on the temptation. That's what we have, our instruction. Don't focus on the temptation. Don't focus on a strategy. Don't focus on a plan. And don't deny it and don't despair. None of those are right. The only thing is focus on Christ. His life is our victory. It says our life is hidden with him. He is our life. We have no life outside of him. So focus on him, his life, his works, him. Oh, but I'm being tempted so much right now. I just don't know what to do. It's sad what to do. Lift your eyes to Christ. Open the word. Focus on him, what he has done. Putting your hope in what he has done alone. He has done things. He has changed things. And we need to know what those things are. What has he done? What has he changed? That verse tells me. He has raised me. He's given me a new nature that competes with this flesh. And he gives me that heart so I can walk in it. The truth is that your rebellious spirit was crucified with Jesus. That's what he said. You died is what he said, right? Which means you used to have three parts of you that all wanted evil. Your mind, your emotions, and your spirit. And that's what makes up a human being, those three parts. And he says, when Jesus died on the cross, he took your spirit out that always wanted rebellion and sin, and he crucified it on the cross, killed it. It is dead. It does not exist anymore the moment you believe in Christ. But he left your mind and your emotions, and they're still corrupted, and they're still evil. And Because you can remember everything you were before you were saved. You can remember how it felt, and you can remember how you thunk. Thinked? Thank. Thought. Just kidding. So, those two things are left. This spirit, the Bible says the spirit was killed and he replaced it with an obedient spirit of his own, his own called the Holy Spirit. And that's how we live now. We have a spirit and then we have a flesh. And the flesh, our mind and our emotions always, oh, I, wanna, I feel like I want to sin and I think I want to sin. And the Bible says that's a lie. It's not true. This is what's true. This is the real you that wants obedience, wants to obey. Every child of God, this is the truth. You don't really want to sin. Satan has just tricked you into thinking you want to sin. And every time temptation comes, if we remember that, what what do you really want as a child of God? What do you want? I want to obey him. Then do then obey. Why, Why are we being tempted? Because these two parts of us, we're giving them life where they shouldn't have it. We're giving them meaning. We're giving them weight in our decision making. Well, it feels like lying is a good option right now. I think if I just told this lie, I'd be able to get in that. If we think, if we use our emotions to make decisions, we will always walk in flesh. But the Spirit, what does the Spirit say? Well, I read the Bible. My heart was drawn towards obedience and towards submitting to God. And so I'm going to choose that, even though I don't feel like it and I don't think it'll work. That's how we walk in the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. We take the Word of God and we let our spirit live through obeying. 
focusing on Christ. So when we, let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, and then we'll be done here. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So this is Jesus. He is the object of our faith. He is our Savior. And it says, here's your instruction when going through temptation. He was tempted. He did not sin. So what do we do? The next verse. I wrote down here, turn to Jesus, is, is my simplification of it. But it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's how we turn to Jesus. In temptation, we can either deny it or we can despair of it or we can turn to Jesus. That's our third option. Jesus sends us his spirit when we boldly turn to him. He sends us his grace because he's sitting on literally a throne of grace. That's all what he's about right now. He gives us real, heart-changing, life-giving, flesh-crucifying, temptation-squashing, victory-giving grace. That's what he gives us, and it's called his spirit. Temptation is an air raid siren in our life saying that we need to live only by and through the life of Jesus. That's what temptation is for. So when you give, get tempted, instead of running from it, and instead of not talking about it, start praising Jesus, that he is your deliverer, that he will never let you succumb to temptation, that he won the victory over temptation, and you will as well if you live through him. Not on your own, I'm going to get through this, Never do that. You will fail. Instead, praise Jesus. He has won the victory already. We can walk and live through him every moment that we face temptation. So you guys did a great job focusing and studying today. Good job. Let us worship Jesus now, giving thanks to him. And We got communion over here so we can remember his sacrifice. If you... If you didn't know, communion is something Jesus asked us to do uh, because it's a wonderful picture and symbol of his life given to us. So the cracker is broken. Uh, We break it, we chew it, and we take it in because his body was broken for us as a sacrifice for our sin. And we take it in showing that we trust in it, we believe in it. And then the the juice there is, is God's life, the new life, his blood given that bought us this new life of new covenant living where he supplies everything that we need and it tastes really good. His life is wonderful. His life is refreshing and his life is all that we need. So if you believe those things, you are welcome in God's eyes to come and take of the body and blood symbolically of Christ and uh, you're invited to do that. And uh, for anyone who does not yet believe or, or maybe feels like they need to come back to Jesus right now and repent, then this is a perfect time to say, I've been sinning and I've been walking on my own. I've been giving in to temptation, walking in my flesh, and I want to come back to Jesus. I can't make up for what I've done. I can't fix it, but I need Jesus. I need God to forgive me right now. So we pray and we say, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry that I have sinned against you and I ask that you would forgive me 
of all my sins and transform my heart. Send me your Holy Spirit to, to fix me, to transform me and change me into the, the good person that you want me to be, into a person that obeys God and serves God and, and serves my fellow men. I can't do this myself, and I need Jesus to do it in me. And for all of us as a family, we pray uh, humbly, we ask that you would keep us from the pride that, that will lead us into temptation, the pride that will um, cause us to respond in the flesh when we are tempted and taken by surprise when we're tempted. God, we want to be humble, and we want, God, you to develop our faith. You, we want you to increase our faith and help us to look towards you and put our hope and trust in you alone and not in ourselves and not in our flesh. When, we, when we're confronted with a, a trial or a difficult thing in our families or in our relationships, I pray, God, that we would not respond by how we think and how we feel, but, God, that we would look to your word and we would surrender and submit to what your spirit says, that we would love our enemies, that we would forgive everybody of everything, and we would preach this forgiveness to the world, that we would forgive everybody, God. Help us to be forgiving people. We love you. We need you more every day. And uh, we praise you, Jesus. Now we stand up to give you praise and give you all our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.